0: Why are men called to take the lead in the home and in the church? With an answer that may surprise you, here's Pastor Ed Ray. Men
1: must be closer to God then, right? More spiritual. (laughs) No. I've watched it over and over again. Women are much more spiritual than men because they're wired that way by God. They listen to their children better. They pray with their kids without any reserve. So what's the deal? men are more likely to step back and let you ladies do it and that's the problem that the church would become completely matriarchal and some churches are in this nation of ours and we try very hard to find that balance zion
0: now build with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man sick be healed in the crippled standing hallelujah my kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice. For everyone, faith,
1: hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this
0: world know me by your love. Someone has said that life is a balance between holding on and letting go. So, what do I hold on to and what do I let go? We'll get some help from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's the scripture we'll be delving into today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you were with us last time, we waded into the battle of the sexes, but only because we want to be faithful to God and to you to not skip over parts of the Bible because they're difficult or controversial. In addition, the Bible has answers, providing a balanced vision for the home and the church. Here again to jump into the fray, picking up in verse 8 is Pastor Ed
1: modest comes from a Latin word that means moderate, in the middle, moderation. And so Paul is simply saying styles come and go, but being in the middle, not too dourly, I'll say. He does not want you to to wear a flower sack, ladies, or uh, not too risque, but find some middle ground. But that's just part of what he's saying here. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothes. He's not saying you can't wear gold. There are churches that try and interpret this this way. You can't wear pearls and all kinds of other things. He's saying do things in moderation. In fact, he's saying be more concerned about the inside than the out. That's what God said to Samuel when he was looking for a king for Israel and Jesse brought his sons by and the first one come by and he's this handsome guy and Samuel says surely this is the one and God says no. Man looks on the outer part, God looks on the heart. Be more concerned about what's inside than what's outside. Peter says almost the same thing in 1 Peter 3, 3 wives, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So, focus on the inside, not the outside. Try and find the middle ground, and you're fine. Verse 10, but which is proper for woman, professing godliness with good works. Again, it's pertinent about outward appearances. He's pointing to that. We shouldn't judge people or try and be judged by outward appearances, by things we wear on the basis of things that are not important. So, notice he says salvation is with good works, not by good works. Uh, We could spend a lot of time on that, but you have heard much of Romans, and Paul said it is by grace to the Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith for good works, not because of good works. You can't earn your way to heaven, right? Okay, okay, so that's good, let's pray and go home. Oh, wait a minute, you got verse 11. There is that little thing. Oh dear, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. So we have this group of women who Paul says, be silent. The word hesheritio in the Greek language actually means quietness, stillness, strong concordances, does not meddle in the affairs of others, undisturbed and peaceable in their lives. So, Paul has used this word before, and the context of that helps us back in 2 Thessalonians 3.12. We read Paul was talking about busybodies in the church of Thessalonica, northern Greece, and he said, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness. And there it's translated quietness, and eat their own bread. In this chapter we're looking at, verse 2, Paul wrote it, and it's normally translated this way, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. So I don't really understand why the... King James translators use the word silence. Obviously, he's not telling us to live a life of silence. Some tried that in the Middle Ages, didn't work out very good. So, listen and learn quietly and submissively is what's going on here. Now, there's besides the cultural reason of what the history of Ephesus was. There's also a number of Jewish women in the church. We know that Priscilla and Quilla were there and others. So, this is dealing with something culturally for those who grew up in a Jewish synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem. There's a wall of separation in synagogues of Orthodox Jews today. It looks like that one on the right. This is a Midwestern synagogue. And it separates the men from the women these walls of separation represent a wall of separation that was at the temple. If you go to Israel with us, there's a wall down the middle or this divider, men on the left, women on the right. And notice the woman over talking to her husband, asking him questions. Well, they built the wall higher so women couldn't do that. And that comes into another part of these verses. This is a The rabbi of the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, said, you are approaching the holy side of the Western Wall where the divine presence always rests. Please make sure you are appropriately and modestly dressed. We covered that so as to not cause harm to this holy place or the feelings of other worshipers. And so that's the reason for the wall of separation too, so the guys aren't looking at the girls and vice versa, but they're looking at God. Okay, so that's where they're coming from, where these women were asking questions. They came out of this society that was matriarchal. They get saved. They come into the church, and they're asking questions to their husband out loud. Nobody knew how to whisper. Everybody was just talking out loud. But it's not just in Ephesus. We see this in the Corinthian church, too. If you were with us when we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul wrote this. Let your women keep silent. There it is again quietness in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. It's shameful for a woman to speak out loud in church. That was the whole point. So publicly, you have a question and your husband's the other side of the wall, you don't shout, hey, Henry, What do you mean by that? Is he saying women are stupid? You know, that kind of a thing. Some of you are thinking that already, so I just thought I'd get it out there, right? Okay, someone said one definition of marriage is the wife ducking out of the way so that God can hit the husband. So gentlemen, be really careful of what you say on the way home and maybe for the next week or so after this message, right? So, why? What is God doing here? What's he saying? Are men more intelligent? (laughs) That's funny. Even according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the highest IQ is by a woman, Marilyn von Savant, who is an editor, magazine columnist, and she is reported has an IQ of more than 170. 170 as high as the test will go. So she's a pretty smart lady. Men must be closer to God then, right? More spiritual. No, I've watched it over and over again. Women are much more spiritual than men because they're wired that way by God. They listen to their children better, they pray with their kids without any reserve. So, what's the deal? Men are more likely to step back and let you ladies do it, and that's the problem. That the church would become completely matriarchal, and some churches are in this nation of ours, and we try very hard to find that balance, that we recognize that a woman is a gift, brilliant, beautiful, talkative, good to be around. Now, I said talkative because a lady stopped me afterwards after the first service, several did after the last night's service too. She said, what do you mean talkative? And I said, well, if you go over into the nursery area here going to the two-year-olds on the left and you'll see a little girl standing looking at the little girl looking at her dresses oh i like your dress it's very pretty and your hair is so wonderful and look at that and, and they're just commiserating right the little boys are over on the left-hand side their choice and they have cars and trucks and they're going mm, mm, mm. <laughs> i rest my case Verse 12, <laughs> I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in quietness. Again, this worked out practically in my life. When I became a believer, my wife pushed me out in front. In other words, she wouldn't lead in prayer. I said, well, you go ahead and lead in prayer. You've been leading in prayer. I? No, now you have to do it. You didn't tell me that <laughs> before. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you did. And that's what's going on here.
0: You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace, describing a move that perhaps you ladies may want to try. Now to wade further into this controversial passage and provide some clarity, from 1 Timothy chapter 2,
1: verse 12, here's Pastor Ed. Okay, not permitted to teach. One of those verses that is not an absolute prohibition. In fact, Paul in Corinthians had just been speaking about women prophesying in the church. Philip had four daughters that prophesied. They spoke out in the church, and Paul gives guidelines about it. Women pray out loud. He said, when you pray, you do it a certain way. And a lot of controversy about whether your head is covered or not in different denominations. But obviously, he was releasing women to pray. What does this mean? Well, a pastor that, influenced my life more than any other pastor was Chuck Smith. And here's what he wrote about this verse in his 8,000 series. In the Old Testament, there was a prophetess named Huldah, 2 Kings 22, and 2 Chronicles 34, that was consulted and used by God to give direction for the nation of Israel. There was Deborah in Judges 4 and 5 that God used in a mighty way in the deliverance of Israel from Sisera, the general. There was Esther that God used to deliver the Jews, the Hebrews. Coming into the New Testament, there was Mary Magdalene, who was the first one that was commissioned by Jesus to give the message of the resurrection. Go and tell my disciples that I have risen. There are many other women, Priscilla, who worked together with her husband, Aquila, in Ephesus. And Apollos came, and they took him aside and explained the ways of the Lord more completely to him, but obviously Priscilla had an active role. There are several women who are named in Romans chapter 16 as laborers together and co-laborers with the apostle Paul. Paul said in Galatians 3:28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female, but Christ is all and in all. So it isn't a blanket kind of silencing of the woman from ministry or from duties within the church. It was there in Ephesus because of the particular situation that we talked about, but it wasn't something that was general even as was the case in Corinth that Paul wrote about in his Corinthian letter. So the key to this verse is the two words in English have authority, it's a single Greek word authentia. Authentia is the loaded word that occurs only one time in the entire Bible. So, it makes it difficult to know exactly what Paul meant. So, there's some room here. The Greek word literally, according to Strong's and several other sources I went to, means to domineer, to usurp authority, to take what is not rightfully yours. It's talking about the heart of the woman who would try and do that to do so by implication of trying to teach without her husband, uh, without the pastor in agreement, or in fact her becoming the final authoritative teacher. We read this to say that is not correct. To have authority over suggests abuse of authority, uh, but it doesn't mean that exactly here. It just means for a woman to take something that she shouldn't doesn't forbid men and women from teaching each other. In fact, we're commanded to do so. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. I already told you, my wife taught me about scripture and Jesus. Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you should be teachers, we're all called to teach one another, particularly new Christians, that you and I have a call in our lives. So two reasons, Paul says, this is God's order. Number one, verse 13, Adam was formed first, then Eve. It was the creation order, and I went through it quickly at the front end, Adam, then Eve, and up through Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and so on, and so on. Paul does not take these reasons from culture. He takes them from Scripture, and that's the anchor in this whole storm of discussion that's going on in our nation. Do we follow culture or do we follow the Bible? Or Paul goes back before the fall with his first reason. Men are supposed to be responsible for teaching other men and other women. The mind of God, he deliberately formed men first, a man out of the dust and then a woman from the side of Adam. Why did God even create women? Parthenogenesis is possible, having children without two sexes, sharks do it, etc. Why did God create women? This is rather a famous list of 10 reasons why God created Eve. Number 10, God worried that Adam would always be lost in the garden because he knew men would never ask directions. <laughs> See, it was a little too heavy in here. I knew by this time. We probably needed this. Number nine, God knew that Adam would one day need someone to hand him the TV remote. Number eight, God knew that Adam would never buy a new fig leaf. When the seat wore out, he would have to get it for him. Number seven, God knew that Adam would never make a doctor's appointment for himself. Number six, God knew that Adam would never remember which night to put the garbage out. Number five, God knew that the world was to be populated. There would have to be someone to bear kids because men would never be able to handle the pain. I agree with that. I watched it happen twice, whoa. Number four, the keeper of the garden, as keeper of the garden, Adam would never remember where he put his tools. Mm. Number three, scripture account of creation indicates that Adam needed someone to blame his troubles on when God caught him hiding in the garden. Number two, as the Bible says, it's not good for man to be alone. He only ends up getting himself in trouble. And then, of course, you all know this one, when God finished the creation of Adam, he stepped back, scratched his head, and said, I can do better than that. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I know. All the women. Go ahead, ladies. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> verse 14. The second reason, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, careful. Paul is not talking about the woman being more gullible than the man. I've heard that taught. I just, man, hurts. I get a headache thinking about it. He is saying, there's two different words here for deceived. He is saying that Eve, sin was not out of ignorance. She knew exactly what she was doing. She wanted to eat of the fruit so that she could be like God. And so she talked to the serpent and got sucked in. Adam, as guys do, his wife said, here, try this fruit. He said, sure. You know, there wasn't even any temptation there, but many have commented that he knew that what his wife had done would cost them the garden, so he joined her in it. Can't tell you whether that's true or not, but the woman carried the greater burden because she was deceived. Nevertheless, verse 15 says, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. Now, this is a very difficult verse, and there's lots of room to argue if you want to go after it. There are whole books written on this one verse. So, let me sum it up by saying it's speaking of the essential role that women play in the plan of salvation the power to give life. You see, step back. God is looking for as many people as possible to be saved and join him in eternity. That's his heart. And so the way people are born so that then they can hear the gospel is through a woman. That's the part she plays. He said that was true back in the garden. He said that through Eve, through her seed, that someone would be born who would crush the head of the serpent. And of course, the Messiah... Jesus would come through her seat. So, a woman was the plan of God from the garden, and he put Mary Magdalene first there at the tomb and at the cross. And so, we have this picture of women participating. Now, there's a definite article, the, T-H-E, in front of childbearing. Mm -hmm. The childbearing. He's talking, some would say, about the childbearing of Jesus, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. That may be true, but I prefer that it's talking about the general idea of childbearing to reach the whole world with the gospel. Okay, so women and men are spiritually equal. Paul makes that very clear in Ephesians chapter 3. So that cannot be what he's talking about here. Women are not second-class citizens. There's neither male nor female but they are subject to God's word just like we men are. Plenty of guys in this room would rather you ladies, lead in prayer and take the role spiritually in your home of teaching your children. God said, no men, you can't do that. You're under this law, this command of mine to lead your family. Men are commanded to step up and lead because they are potentially less spiritual than women. Okay, I tried to say it Let me try and say it one more time, and we'll close with this. Men, do not use these verses on your wives or girlfriends. They will explode in your face, and you would be using them in the wrong way. You can't do it. Only God can do this. What are you going to do? Well, here's what I suggest. This is an ancient Persian Story about Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great was kind of the George Washington of the Persian Empire. He brought the whole thing together, and he had an enemy who was a prince, and he was able to capture the prince and his wife and children all together. And he had them brought before him, and he was stunned when he saw them because they were a very noble-looking family. And he paused and thought for a couple of minutes before he spoke, and he said to the prince, what would you give for you and your family's freedom and he said my whole kingdom he said what would you give for your children's freedom he said half of my wealth he said and what would you give for your wife's freedom he said i would give myself and cyrus was so impressed with this man that he let him and his whole family go And as they left the courtroom, the husband turned to his wife, the prince, and said, did you notice what an elegant, handsome man Cyrus was? And she thought a moment. She said, no, because I was looking at the man who said he would give his life for me. Jesus said, men, we are to lead the home as Christ leads the church. How did he love the church, lead the church, he died for us. Lay down your life gentlemen and then your wives will be able to live with you.
0: A noble challenge Pastor Ed Ray has given to us who are married on today's Grow in Grace. May we accept the challenge trusting in the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit to carry it out. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And if God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal, or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great Power Through Prayer, and this book will help to elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective ways to use prayer to better understand God's Word, to fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can call 844-77-GRACE. We are always touched when we hear about what God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to 1 Timothy. In the meantime, keep looking to Jesus and grow in His grace. Zion, with hands, and in this place Sick, be and the cripples stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love.